Volume 2, Chapter 2, Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Samantha DiPiero. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume 2, Chapter 2, A Man of Family. The house of Mr. Delville was grand and spacious, fitted up not with modern taste, but with the magnificence of former times. The servants were all veterans, gorgeous in their liveries, and profoundly respectful in their manners. Everything had an air of state, but of a state so gloomy that while it inspired awe, it repressed pleasure. Cecilia assented in her name and was admitted without difficulty, and was then ushered with great pomp through sundry apartments and rows of servants before she came into the presence of Mr. Delville. He received her with an air of haughty affability, which, to a great spirit, open and liberal as that of Cecilia, could not fail being extremely offensive. But too much occupied with the care of his own importance to penetrate into the feelings of another, he attributed the uneasiness which his reception occasioned to the overawing predominance of superior rank and consequence. He ordered his servant to bring her a chair, while he only half rose from his own upon her entering into the room. Then, waving his hand and bowing, with a motion that desired her to be seated, he said, I am very happy, Miss Beverly, that you have found me alone. You would really have had the same good fortune. At this time of day, I am generally in a crowd. People of large connections have not much leisure in London, especially if they see a little after their own affairs, and if their estates, like mine, are dispersed in various parts of the kingdom. However, I'm glad it happened so, and I am glad, too, that you have done me the favor of calling without waiting till I sent, which I really would have done as soon as I heard of your arrival, but that the multiplicity of my engagements allowed me no respite. A display of importance so ostentatious made Cecilia already half repent her visit, satisfied that the hope on which she had planned it would be fruitless. Mr. Dalville, still imputing to embarrassment, an inquietude of countenance that proceeded merely from disappointment, imagined her veneration was every moment increasing, and therefore, pitying a timidity which both gratified and softened him, and equally pleased with himself for inspiring, and with her for feeling it, he abated more and more of his greatness, till he became at length so infinitely condescending, with intention to give her courage, that he totally depressed her with mortification and chagrin. After some gentle inquiries concerning her way of life, he told her that he had hoped she was contented with her situation at the Heralds, adding, If you have anything to complain of, remember to whom you may appeal. Then he asked if she had seen Mr. Briggs. Yes, sir, I am at this moment come from his house. I am sorry for it. His house cannot be a proper one for the reception of a young lady. When the dean made application that I would be one of your guardians, I instantly sent him refusal, as it is my custom upon all such occasions, which indeed occurred to me with a frequency extremely important in. But the dean was a man for whom I had really a regard, and therefore, when I found my refusal had affected him, I suffered myself to be privileged upon to indulge him, contrary not only to my general rule, but to my inclination. Here he stopped, as if to receive some compliment, but Cecilia, very little disposed to pay him money, went no farther than an inclination of the head. I knew not, however, he continued, at the time I was induced to give my consent, with whom I was to be associated, nor could I have imagined the dean so little conversant with the distinctions of the world as to disgrace me with inferior coagitators. The moment I learned the state of the affair, I insisted upon withdrawing both my name and countenance. Here again he paused, 
not an exception of an answer from Cecilia, but merely to give her time to marvel in what manner he had at last been melted. The dean, he resumed, was then very ill. My displeasure, I believe, hurt him. I was sorry for it. He was a worthy man, and he had not meant to offend me in the end. I accepted his apology, and was ever persuaded to accept the office. You have a right, therefore, to consider yourself as personally my ward, and though I do not think it proper to mix with your other guardians, I shall always be ready to serve and advise you, and much pleased to see you. You do me honor, sir, said Cecilia, extremely wearied of such graciousness, and rising to be gone. Pray, sit still, he said with a smile. I have not many engagements for this morning. You must give me some account of how you pass your time. Are you much out? The heralds, I am told, live at a great expense. What is their establishment? I don't know exactly, sir. They are a decent sort of people, I believe, are they not? Well, I hope so, sir. And they have tolerable acquaintance, I believe. I am told so, for I know nothing of them. They have at least a very numerous one, sir. Well, my dear, he said, taking her hand, now you've once ventured to come, don't be apprehensive of repeating your visits. I must introduce you to Mrs. Delville. I'm sure she will be happy to show you any kindness. Come, therefore, when you please, and without scruple, I would call upon you myself, but I am fearful of being embarrassed by the people with whom you live. He then rang his bell, and with the same ceremonies which had attended her admittance, she was conducted back to her carriage. And here died away all hope of putting into execution, during her minority, the plan of which the formation had given her so much pleasure. She found that her present situation, however wide of her wishes, was by no means the most disagreeable in which she could be placed. She was tired indeed of dissipation, and shocked at the sight of unfeeling extravagance. But notwithstanding the houses of each of her other guardians were exempt from these particular vices, she saw not any prospect of happiness with either of them. Vulgarity seemed leagued with avarice to drive her from the mansion of Mr. Briggs, and haughtiness with ostentation to exclude her from that of Mr. Delville. She came back, therefore, to Portman Square, disappointed in her hopes, and sick both of those whom she quitted and those to whom she was returning. But in going to her own apartment, Mrs. Harrell, eagerly stopping her, begged she would come to the drawing-room, where she promised her a most agreeable surprise. Cecilia, for an instant, imagined that some old acquaintance had just arrived out of the country, but upon her entrance, she saw only Mr. Harrell and some workmen, and found that the agreeable surprise was to proceed from the sight of an elegant awning, prepared for one of the inner apartments to be fixed over a long dessert table, which was to be ornamented with various devices of cut glass. Did you ever see anything so beautiful in your life, cried Mrs. Harrell, and when the table is covered with the color of ices and those sorts of things, it will be beautiful again, and we shall have it ready for Tuesday's night. I understood you were engaged to go to the masquerade. So we shall, only we intend to see masks at home first. I have some thoughts, said Mr. Harrell, leading the way to another small room, of running up a flight of steps and a little light gallery here and so making a little orchestra. What would such a thing come to Mr. Tompkins? Oh, a trifle, answered Mr. Tompkins, a mere nothing. Well then, give orders for it, and let it be done directly. I don't care how slight it is, but pray let it be very elegant. Won't it be a great addition, Miss Beverly? Indeed, sir. I don't think it seems to be very necessary, said Cecilia, who wished much to take that moment for reminding him of the debt he had contracted with Mr. Arnold. Lord, Miss Beverly is so grave, cried Mrs. Harrell. Nothing of this sort gives her any pleasure. 
She has indeed, answered Cecilia, trying to smile. Not much taste for the pleasure of always surrounded by workmen. And as soon as she was able, she retired to her room, feeling both on the part of Mrs. Arnett and the Hills, a resentment of the injustice of Mr. Harrow, which fixed her into the resolution of breaking through the facility of compliance, which had hitherto confined her disapprobation to her own breast, and venturing henceforward to mark the opinion she entertained of his conduct by consulting nothing but reason and principles in her own. Her first effort towards this charge was made immediately, in begging to be excused from accompanying Mr. Harrell to a large card assembly that evening. Mrs. Harrell, extremely surprised, asked a thousand times the reason of her refusal, imagining it to proceed from some very extraordinary cause. Nor was she, without the most difficulty, persuaded at last that she merely meant to pass one evening by herself. By the next day, when the refusal was repeated, she was still more incredulous. It seemed to her impossible that anyone who had the power to be encircled with company could by choice spend a second afternoon alone, and she was so urgent in her request to be entrusted with the secret that Cecilia found no way left to appease her, but by frankly confessing that she was weary of eternal visiting and sick of living always in a crowd. Suppose then, she cried, I send for Miss Laurels to come to sit with you. Cecilia, not without laughing, declined this proposal, assuring her that no such assistant was necessary for her entertainment. Yet it was not till long after contention that she was able to convince her that there would be no cruelty in leaving by herself. The following day, however, her trouble diminished, for Mrs. Harrell ceased to be surprised, thought little more of the matter, and forbore any earnestness of solicitation and from that time she suffered her to follow her own cure with very little opposition. Cecilia was much concerned to find her so unmoved, and not less disappointed at the indifference of Mr. Harrel, who, being seldom of the same parties with his lady, and seeing her too rarely either to communicate or hear any domestic occurrences far from being struck as she hoped, with the new way in which she passed her time, was scarce sensible of change, and interfered not upon the subject. Sir Robert Floyer, who continued to see her when he dined in Portman Square, often inquired what she did with herself in the evening, but never obtaining any satisfactory answer, he concluded her engagements were with people to whom she, he was a stranger. Poor Mr. Arnott felt that the cruelest disappointment in being deprived of the happiness of attending her in the evening's expeditions, when whether he conversed with her or not, he was sure the indulgence of seeing and hearing her. But the great sufferer from this new regulation was Mr. Monckton, who, unable to any longer endure the mortifications of which his morning visits to Portman Square had been so productive, determined not to trust his temper with such provocations in the future, but rather to take his chance of meeting her elsewhere, for which purpose he had assiduously frequented all public places, and sought acquaintance with every family and every person he believed to be known to the Heralds. But his patience was unrewarded, and his diligence unsuccessful. He met with her nowhere, and while he continued his search, fancied every evil power was at work to lead him, whither he was sure never to find her. Meanwhile, Cecilia passed her time greatly to her own satisfaction. Her first care was to assist and comfort the hills. She went herself to their lodgings, and ordered and paid for whatever the physician prescribed to the sick man, gave clothes to the children, and money and various necessities to the wife. She found that the poor carpenter was not likely to languish much longer, and therefore, for the present, 
only thought of alleviating his sufferings by procuring him such indulgences as were authorized by his physician, and enabling his family to abate so much of their labor as was requisite for obtaining time to nurse and attend him. But she meant as soon as the last duty should be paid him to assist his survivors in attempting to follow some better and more profitable business. Her next solitude was to furnish herself with a well-chosen collection of books, and this employment, which to a lover of literature, young and ardent in its pursuit, is perhaps the mind's first luxury, proved a source of entertainment so fertile and delightful that it left her nothing to wish. She confined not her acquisitions to the limits of her present power, but as she was laying in stock for futures as well as immediate advantage, she was restrained by no expense from gratifying her taste and her inclination. She now had entered the last year of her minority, and therefore had no doubt that her guardians would permit her to take up whatever sum she should require for such a purpose. And thus, in the exercise of charity, the search of knowledge, the enjoyment of quiet, serenely and innocent philosophy passed the hours of Cecilia. End of volume two, chapter two of Cecilia.